Let's talk about Riverside.fm, the leading podcast and video creation platform that's changing the game on how creators record content. Riverside.fm allows you to record studio quality audio and up to 4K video on their platform. Now you can interview a guest a thousand miles away and it'll sound like you're sitting in the same room. It's as easy to use as Zoom, but gives much higher quality audio and video recordings. Did we mention that they have a mobile app? This allows guests to connect directly from their phone and record content from anywhere. After your content is finished, you can easily grab clips to share them across your social media channels. So if you're looking for a hero platform for all your recording needs, from podcasts to webinars to other video content, you should be using Riverside FM. Sign up today so you can focus on your content and leave the quality to Riverside FM. Use promo code SHIPIT and receive a 30% discount on your first three months of your subscription. That's promo code SHIPIT to receive a 30% discount on the first three months of your subscription. Back to the show. Welcome to episode 90 of the Giant Take Podcast. I'm Josh and I'm joined by my co-host Alex. This episode is coming out on a Saturday. We do have a reason for that. Stick around to find out. Also, stick around for another interview with Austin Gale, another member of PFF. He's on the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. And we're, it was a really great interview. Um, you're going to get a change of, what is it, a change of light, um, Alex and Josh. That's because we recorded at nighttime, so that's why. So... You know, if, if anyone who's watching this is wondering why it went from day to night, that was because we recorded it the other day. Or the other night, I should say, Alex. But anyway, we thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. One week before the draft, less than that at this point. Um, and we will start out with the news that came out a few days ago from Ian Rappaport. And that was the Giants are slated to pick number 11 in the NFL draft. And trading back is already something they're in, uh, internally considering. Excuse me. I'm told that... That spot will have a real value. How rare would a trade down be? Well, GM Dave Gettleman has never traded down the first round in eight drafts as a GM. He also had some quotes that I have open uh, on that as well in his press conference. We have some funny stuff to pull up from that and some not so funny stuff to pull up from that. You know, some serious stuff, but I guess we'll we'll start with that. But first of all, we'll start with my co-host, Alex. How are you doing uh, on this fine Saturday morning? I'm doing well. We're five days out from the draft. Um, you know, I'm just getting excited. I, I can't wait. Um, you know, it's getting to that, like, period where it's, like, too late now to, like, keep talking about it. You just want to know what's happening. Um, but we're very close to figuring out what the Giants are going to do. I'm worried. I'm honestly worried. I think we might have a bit of a surprise uh, coming for us with the Giants in the draft. Um, I, I feel like, you know, there's all these rumors about players that we could be taking you know, Parsons, um, you know, obviously the wide receivers, you know, Slater, Vera Tucker, those guys who would be very good value at 11. I feel like we're going to be taking someone a little bit different there. Um, that's just my opinion. I feel like we're going to we're going to have a little bit of a bigger uh, shock. It's not going to be a Daniel Jones t- level shock, but I think it will be a little bit of a shock. Um, but I'm excited. Uh, you know, the Giants last night, they just released their like video showing like their free agency 
business thing where they like showed everyone talking and doing things and scouts at different com- uh, different pro days. Kevin uh, Abrams, he was in his office, which is a really weird office. He was on PFF for some reason, show, uh, looking at University of Miami players. So if that tells you something, maybe. I, I don't really know. It was not really much came out of that video. Obviously, they're not trying to share anything. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited to get going. And the draft is only five days away. That's what I keep saying to myself. Yeah, it, I mean, it's exciting stuff. Obviously, this trade down news from Rappaport when, you know, Alex sent it to me uh, wasn't really that big in my head. It was kind of like I, I kind of just said, tell me something. Ian Rappaport basically just told me something without telling me anything because it's an option that we all knew about that it all could come down to. I feel like we already talked about the Giants trading back, Alex, and it's not something that we see happening, especially with the options that they could have at 11, I understand. Um, I mean, I guess I'll just go to what Dave Gettleman said, and that was basically just—it wasn't no, but it, uh, he basically just said that he hasn't ever had luck trading back. There was never enough value, and he doesn't want to get—he—he um, he doesn't want to get fleece, is what he said. <laughs> he doesn't want to—he—he he doesn't want to be getting fleeced by any team, and completely understandable. I mean, if if our GM does not want to get fleeced, I you know that that's completely fine with me. So. I don't see the Giants trade back. I mean, Alex, let's get your thoughts on that now, and then we can move on to the next topic. I think the only way there's a trade back is if one of the four quarterbacks is there, or one of the or one of the five quarterbacks is still on the board, or one of the top three receivers is still on the board. There's definitely teams that would be interested in you know coming up for a receiver. There would definitely be teams interested in coming up for a quarterback. I think. More likely, if someone like Trey Lance or Justin Fields somehow makes it to 11, I think that's when you're in a scenario that there's going to be a team wanting to jump. Um, if you see someone like Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, obviously, who are likely one of them would be there. Um, you know, maybe with the more recent rumors, maybe not, because there are a lot of rumors that they might all be gone before even the Giants pick. I think those are the most likely scenarios for a trade um, but I, I don't personally think there's going to be a team jumping for a quarterback because there's not that many quarterback needy teams after the initial three, right? So, you know, you're assuming three of them are going to be off the board and then you're only dealt with Mac Jones if he doesn't go to the 49ers, which for the Giants case, I really hope Mac Jones is taken by the 49ers because that means these two quarterbacks, Justin Fields and Trey Lance, who, you know, in my opinion are borderline number two and three in this quarterback class are going to be just sitting there. Um, And obviously Denver would probably take one considering, you know, they're going to be right there, um, you know, waiting in line. They might trade up. I don't, I'm less convinced that they're going to trade up with the Falcons. I feel like the Falcons is a little bit of an awkward place to trade up because I feel like it's almost too early. You'd have to give up too much draft capital for kind of what reason. Um, So I think you could see someone more like the Lions doing a trade down with the Broncos or with another team where you can, you know, give them less but still come up and get your quarterback. Um, But yeah, that's basically all I have to say. More quarterbacks, the better. I don't see us trading down. I I think we're most likely we're just going to stay where we are. And if one of those big players is there, we'll take them. And if not, we'll try to find a trade, but I don't think we'll find one. And then in that case, I think we're just going to be taking our edge rusher um, at 11. Yeah, I agree. I was just searching for something because there were also, um, you mentioned, we mentioned trade back. So there was a team that did trade back and that was, 
uh, a team by the name of the Kansas City Chiefs. They trade out of their 31 spot. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think that's a pretty good move for the Chiefs. They got the offensive tackle Orlando Brown from the Baltimore Ravens. I'll break down the trade in a second. That'll obviously affect our mock draft that'll come out next week. We also have an episode coming up for the draft next week. We're going to have all the content. We're going to have, even though Alex just said uh, about five minutes ago, basically, <laughs> that he's ready to just hear the draft picks. Well, we're, we're still not done yet. We're going to have one more. Uh, <laughs> we're never done. Uh, a 4.0 mock draft that's going to come out next week. And then our last episode before the draft will come out next week as well. But the Kansas City Chiefs are getting the young 24-year-old offensive tackle Orlando Brown, which is a pretty good prospect, especially to protect Patrick Mahomes from what we saw happening in the Super Bowl with the Kansas City defense. Or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, excuse me. They also get a 2021 second-round pick, number 58 in the draft, a 2022 sixth-round pick. While Baltimore, on the other hand, gets their 2021 first-round pick, which is probably the biggest thing here, the 31st pick, a third-round pick, which is number 94, um, and then a fourth-round pick, which is number 136. That's all in this draft. 2022 fifth-round pick as well. So a lot of things happening in this deal. Pretty big deal. Alex, go ahead. I think I see some thoughts going through your head. The Ravens got fleeced. Talk about getting fleeced. In my opinion, the Ravens got absolutely robbed in this trade. The likelihood that you could draft an offensive tackle at pick 31 that would be anywhere near as good as Orlando Brown because he's an above-average tackle in the NFL. I think we can all agree with that, right? He's he's young. He's not super old. I think he's like 25. It's, it's a great trade for the Chiefs. They need a tackle. He wanted his way out of Baltimore, probably why they kind of got fleeced in my opinion. Because if you think about it, you're trading a late first for most likely a late second. And then, you know, you're also giving up a third um, and, you know, so you're losing some value. But I think in general, the fact that they got that second round pick back from Baltimore, I think totally makes it. I, if they didn't get that pick back, I think if it was just a first, a third, um, and then whatever the other thing you said, I think a fourth and a fifth or something. Uh, if they just did that, I think that would have been a reasonable trade for both sides. But I think the second-round pick on the way back, and also they got a sixth-round pick, I believe, too, which kind of balances out the fifth-round pick. I don't know. I really don't like that for the Ravens. And, you know, now they're probably going to be drafting a tackle. Um, Josh is playing some Dave Gettleman already. He's I am. I am. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> that's the second time now. I keep on pressing the video by mistake. I have the video of Dave Gettleman pulled up from the press conference. But, um, yeah, 24 years old, Alex. I did mention that. So, I don't know. Are you not listening to me or something? Not no, 25, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not listening to you. But, yeah, I don't know what the heck the Ravens are doing. And <laughs> what, what, what tackle are you going to be getting at 31 or 27 that's going to be better than Orlando Brown at all? Or anywhere near his level. I mean, you're probably looking at like a Leatherwood or like an Eichenberg. I mean, you're really not looking at anyone superb at that pick. Um, I mean, you could be looking at a player that's not an offensive tackle, and you know that that definitely could be. You know, we don't know that they're exactly replacing Orlando Brown. Obviously, he, like you mentioned, he's an above average player. This might not be a replacement type of thing where they're looking to draft a younger player to replace Orlando Brown. They could yeah. just be looking at a different position. But they would need a tackle to replace him. They don't have another tackle to. They would need at least another tackle, whether that be they bring up whatever. I don't know their tackle situation by hand. But I do know that, you know, when you lose a tackle, they most likely have a swing tackle that would most likely be able to go 
and start for them, but then they would need a new swing tackle at that point, or they'd need a new starter. So, I, I mean, eventually they would have to draft one, whether that be in the first round or later in the draft also. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't I don't like the trade at all for the Ravens, but whatever. I don't really care. Um, it just kind of is annoying because the Chiefs are getting good value there, and they're going to be a good team again next year, obviously. Yeah, let's move to the cap stuff, Alex, and then, and then we'll go over to why we're recording here on Saturday. Yeah, so um, before we get to our, you know, mock draft, Josh didn't say, yeah, we're doing a like a seven-round oh, mock we're all, draft. Oh, yes. Seven-round mock draft, or six-round, really, because the Giants don't have seven uh, seventh-round pick. Um, so first, Abrams in, also indicated that the team's free agent splurge may not be over. For my opinion, and I think Dave would agree, I think our roster is a lot better now than it was at the end of the season, Abrams said. And the offseason is not over yet, and so we'll still have more opportunities to add players. So I think we'll feel good, we will feel good with what we've done. I think we're a deeper, more talented team. That's pretty obvious. Um, Currently, the Giants are approximately $3.8 million under the salary cap, uh, which means they have $3.8 million excess. Obviously, some of that will have to be spent on the draft class, right? Um, but that isn't a deterrent to them at all. They have a hunch that the salary cap, which was reduced to $182 million this year due to the reception uh, in, or reception in revenues brought on by the pandemic, uh, will rise dramatically as the economy gets back on its feet. True, but you never know. You're also betting on everything to get better very quickly, which, you know, you don't know, um, you know, what's going to happen. Obviously, you know, the virus is kind of crazy. It doesn't you know, just say like, hey, let's stop now. Um, But uh, yeah, so I don't know what Abrams, he definitely shared that he was nervous though. He did share before this, not maybe in this quote, that he was a little bit, you know, overtaken with a little bit of stress about the spending. Um, But he did say that we brought in a whole bunch of quality players. And to be honest, Abrams is the most like blah guy of all time, by the way. He like, I like was falling asleep listening to him. Um, it was just terrible, but you know, Dave is very exciting to listen to, so I'm sure we'll listen to some of him as well. Yeah, um, and we will. But first of all, so why are we recording on Saturday? You usually record on Thursday. You put an episode out on Friday, I think it was last week. Why? Well, on this date, <laughs> on this date, on this date, one year ago on Saturday, April 24th. This day in history. 89... <laughs> Episodes ago, two young men by the name. Okay, yeah, you don't. Need the to name, do that. yeah, we don't need to do this. Uh, we started the podcast about a year ago. About a year ago, we exactly started the podcast a year, a year ago. ago. Exactly a year ago on this day, and that's why we wanted to record. Look back. Um, you know, we're not going to do the whole montage. We're saving that for a hundred. If you want to go listen to one of them, I mean, we did one for episode fifty. That's why we're going to do one for a hundred. But just to look back, I mean. Please don't play the first episode. I'm not. I'm, really I'm not. not. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. But just to look back on episode one, the NFL draft recap round one. We did a draft recap, Alex, <laughs> one year ago. It's crazy. Um, and I think what we want to do is just kind of take it in. I mean, I don't even know what I was planning on saying. I mean, you know, we, we literally didn't record during the week just for this reason, basically. And I don't even know what to say. I mean, I guess I'll just... I'm extremely happy that we, as, as Alex is cracking up, I'm extremely happy that we you know, were able to start this, especially over COVID. I'm not thinking COVID in any way, but I think if, if it wasn't 
before the pandemic and, you know, not being in the school, in school, I think we wouldn't have done this, Alex. And I think you completely would agree. So I, I just like to say I would like to – I feel like I'm accepting an Oscar when, like, this is just our <laughs> one-year uh, time <laughs> since we started the podcast. No, but I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I would very much like to thank our listeners um, for the podcast, you definitely keep us going, and all the people that have come on as guests to support the podcast, you know, is, we really appreciate it, especially, you know, for this episode, we had Austin Gale on, he was very busy, I mean, I think I mentioned in the interview, but, and he was able to take some time to come on the podcast with us, so, like, you know, big shout out to him, but big shout out to Justin, Snacks, Bobby, Danny, all those guys from Talking Giants, we had Entertaino, who I'm looking at here all the way at the bottom, episode six, our first guest on, I mean... I, we can just go down the list because we had way too many people on. We had way, way, so like so many people on this podcast. But the biggest person I like to thank, and I think everyone knows where this is going, is Alex. I would like to thank Alex for, for <laughs> getting a little teary eyed. If you're listening, he's getting a little teary eyed. I, I would. You know, he might be thinking I'm joking, but to put up, to put up with one of us is hard. To put up with, I think both of us is pretty hard. And he was able to put up with me, which is very challenging at some points, even this morning when we were trying to coordinate the podcast. So, Alex, I'd like to thank you. We've made it a year. And this is when you're going to quit right now. Josh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm leaving. But That would have been really I think, sad if that happened. I was like, <laughs> I was just going to announce, like, I'm done. All right, well, thank you for that. But, uh, yeah. But that's not happening. Just clearing that up. That's not happening. Yeah. So uh, I'll end my little spiel here. And then, Alex, you can do whatever the heck you want to do about this. But, yeah, I, I do. I really like to thank you, Alex. I feel like I've never addressed it publicly on the podcast. But you've been able to stick with this. You've been able to stick with me. We both gained our giants and knowledge together from starting this podcast. And we probably still sound stupid every time when we talk about the giants. But whatever. We're doing it together. So if we go down, we go down together as a partnership. So I would like to thank you for uh, all your time, and, and it's been a year. It's, it's definitely been one hell of a year, I'll, I'll say that. Before I start crying, um, <laughs> you know, obviously, Josh, I would like to say the same thing as well, obviously. You know, it's, it's hard. You know, you think it's easier doing this than it actually is. It's, it's, it's definitely a little bit of a struggle coordinating when especially we have other things going on in our lives, um, but it's it's definitely been a lot of fun um as much as you know it's been a lot of work it's all been worth it right all the wonderful people we've talked to and really all the people that have come on have made us better um you know specifically like you mentioned a lot of those talking giants guys they've really been very helpful for us um you know really everyone even over the summer when we were talking some other sports they really gave us some nice insight as well um and we've made some you know nice friendships in this industry which is really nice um, and, you know, we appreciate them helping us out, giving us tips through, you know, to be honest, if we did this podcast on our own, it would be nowhere near the level it is without, you know, those people <laughs> helping us out. Um, you listen to the, if you've listened to the first few episodes, that's what it would be like forever. Um, if it wasn't for a lot of those people and obviously, um, you know, Josh has put a lot of work into, you know, improving our podcast. He's always coming to me with new ideas and I'm, you know, sometimes coming to him with new ideas. I'm not really the creative person here. Um, all right, Josh is. I wouldn't know, say that. I'm, I'm not I super. I wouldn't say creative. that. But uh, yeah, it's just you came up with the ex- excuse me. No, no, no. Before <laughs> you go, you literally came up with the idea that we're about to do in like maybe two or three minutes. So I don't true. know what you're talking about. That is true. But continue. That is true. 
Um, but yeah, I don't like giving these. Fe- it's it's weird. I don't like talking like about. It's like it's like when your parents talk about how proud they are of you when you like graduate elementary school or something. It's just like no. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm just excited. I'm excited for the future. Obviously, this next season's going to be really exciting. I've been talking for way too long, um, and I'm just ready. Josh is, has something else to say. Thank you for everyone listening. Thank you to everyone who's helped out, um, and we will continue strong, if that makes any sense. No, I was raising my hand like we would do in class just to say that I think one thing that we really, really do want to say is that we both didn't mention, but I just thought about now. The podcast, I think, whenever we record, just brightens our day. I think it makes our day better, whether, whether you know we had bad things happening before it or bad things happening after it whenever we're here you know whether it's in front of the screen or before we started the youtube which wasn't even that long ago it was like three or four episodes ago even just talking to each other you know i think the interaction with speaking um to whatever just just i think when we're in this podcast environment when we're recording it just really makes us feel better during our days so i think you know, have you having you listen to our podcast, having Alex here talking with me, I think it really does brighten our day. And I think that's something that we should have mentioned because both of us did not mention that is it brightens our day. And now Alex is something to go off of what I was saying, even though we thought he was done. <laughs> well, now you, you brought in a whole new theme to this, you know, discussion here now. I, I would say, you know, obviously with COVID, it's been really weird, right? We're all stuck at home most of this past time. Um, obviously looks like the corners the bright corner is ahead very soon so that's good but it's definitely difficult obviously us being high school students not always the easiest being that and this podcast definitely is like an outlet of getting out of the stress of everything especially during this time and you know obviously I know most people who listen are most likely not high school students so they have no idea what the hell I'm talking about but yeah it's just very exciting and you know also our families they've supported us during this as well so that's a very nice and we appreciate them as well me just i'm just like i'm i'm done with this i can't do anymore it's It's making me teary-eyed you know yeah it's enough all right um thank you so much let's get the hell away from this this is (laughs) um, terrible another thing i do have to say oh Oh, no (laughs) god damn it thank god actually alex for you and um the guests because if it wasn't for that, like you were saying, we wouldn't have been different. And I was still would have been saying that stupid, stupid intro at the <laughs> beginning of every episode. Stupid. Can I do a, re-en- a reenactment or no? No, no, okay. no you yeah. can't. That's gonna make the. That's gonna ruin the moment. Okay. Just thank you. Thank, thank you to you. That was that was that was that you was, really. <laughs> that was thank- that was a painful time period. I thought I was cool. I thought I was a cool kid, all right? So, you know what? And now we both look like complete stupid. We, we look stupid right now anyway, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that hasn't changed still. So, we'll go to, uh, let's go to the mock draft. So, yeah. So, Alex and I, um, Alex's idea. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was. Uh, we did a six-round uh, six mock draft. Don't worry, we're going to knock it out. It's not going to be like we're sitting here the whole time. Just the Giants, and uh, we'll get to our picks right now so let's start out we both did individual ones both had the same pick of number 11 going micah parsons linebacker out of penn state alex you mind if i go first yes you can talk about micah parsons since we both have him um i'll just let you talk about him and then i'll go to my second round pick and then we could you know go from there where i believe we have different picks anyway most of the time 
Yeah. So Micah Parsons, six foot three, two hundred forty six pounds out of Penn State, like I already said. Parsons led the team in tackles, and yes, I am looking down because I'm looking at all this. I cannot memorize this in my head. Parsons did lead the team in tackles with 109, 14 for loss with five sacks, five pass breakups, and is tied for force or tied for fourth in the FBS with four forced fumbles as a sophomore. Uh, garnering first-team Associated Press All-American honors for his play in 13 games, 12 starts, he was named, or yes, he was named a first-team All-Big Ten selection as well, and the conference's linebacker of the year, Parsons, decided to opt out of the 2020 season, citing COVID concerns as the reason for his opt-out. Micah Parsons, I think he's a really good value at 11 if he's available. I think he will be available at 11. I'm very confident about that. This is our projection, right? This is not who we want at 11. I want to make that clear. But I do think Parsons um, will be available at 11. And I think Dave Gettleman, as Alex is very confused at this current moment, um, researching. (laughs) He's tirelessly researching um, at this moment. I think Parsons is a great value pick at 11. I think uh, he's perfect for, for this Giants team. And that's why we both have him at our second First round, so now I was already ahead of myself. Moving on to the second round, Alex will go over his pick. Yeah, sorry, I was just preparing my, you know, stuff for my next pick. So, at number 42 overall in the second round, I'm going to have Joseph Asai, um, edge out of Texas. It's, you know, probable in this mock draft he does fall to 42. He could go a little earlier, he could go a little later. He's a junior out of Texas, like I mentioned, six foot four, 253 pounds. Um, an interesting prospect because he was actually born in Lagos, Nigeria, which is something I found out earlier today, um, which is, you know, interesting. He didn't even uh, know what football was till 10 years old when he moved here um, to America. So that that's an interesting thing because a lot of these draft prospects, they, you know, started playing football very young. He didn't play um, till high school or didn't even really even have interest until in high school. Um, he played safety as a freshman in high school and then moved to defensive end in college um, and he was a very impactful player in his two years um, that he played for Texas um, you know he played in the Big 12 obviously um, and you know not an easy division to play in uh, he tallied five sacks and 13 and a half tackles for loss and one forced fumble um, last season which was quite impressive uh, and you know in his junior season he got another five and a half sacks and 15 and a half tackles for loss which really pushed his draft uh, stock up into the late first early second round area and obviously that's where we have him playing he fits the Giants scheme quite well um, and I think he for me you know a lot of these edge rushers are very similar in terms of Rousseau you know Phillips is probably the highest upside if it wasn't for his injury um, you also have Ronnie Perkins I mean there's tons of edge rushers in this like late first early second area uh, but I think in this mock uh, I believe Perkins was on the board but Osai uh, for me was the best prospect I like him a little bit better um, out of uh, out of Texas and he's ranked about 35th uh, on average from a whole bunch of these different big draft boards I went with wide receiver Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss it's a Questionable pick, especially that Dave Gunnelman. We don't really see him going wide receiver first round. I see him going wide receiver second round. Um, and I think he'll go with the 5'9", 178-pound more. Uh, he made his national champion, his national headlines excuse me, for the right reasons in 2020, leading the FBS with 10.8 receptions and 100, 149.1 receiving yards per game. 
He set a school record with 86 receptions, breaking current Tennessee Titans receiver A.J. Brown's record for 1,193 yards and 8 scores. Moore also rushed for 64 yards on 14 attempts, which is about 4.6 yards per attempt. In his eight starts on his way to first-team-associated press All-American, first-team All-SEC, and uh, I can't pronounce this person's last name. I apologize, so... Uh, I'll try my best here. The Belichnikov uh, Award finalist honors. He opted out of the remainder of the season after eight games. And that'll move me on to my third round pick. I'll just go straight to it. That's good, Alex. He's giving me the the okay there. Thumbs up. We got it. All good. Round 376 overall. I'm going to go with offensive tackle. We haven't took what, taken one yet in my draft. Parsons, then more. So we're going to go with offensive tackle Brady Christensen out of BYU. The 6'5". 300-pound tackle, took over the starting left tackle spot in 2018, starting all 13 games. Christensen repeated that uh, that feat in 2019. He garnered, um, I can't see, I can't read along, Alex. I'm I'm just not good at this. He garnered national attention as a junior, blocking so well for star quarterback Zach Wilson in 12 starts that the Associated Press voted him in for a first-team All-American, and that leads us to round four which I'm not going to go to yet because Alex hasn't even said his third-round pick yet, so go ahead, Alex. So for me, I'm going to go with the guard position, Ben Cleveland out of Georgia. Um, He's a senior, uh, 6'6", 340 pounds. So talking about him, obviously he played with Andrew Thomas, so that chemistry there, um, obviously they know each other, so that is something that, you know, would definitely be helpful. And obviously the Giants always seem to take a bulldog every year, right? Uh, DeAndre Baker, obviously Andrew Thomas last year. I'm sure there was more before then. I'm just forgetting at this moment. Um, so with Cleveland, he's a solid tackle who, or a, sal- a solid guard who is very physical um, and tough power gap lineman who's really good in the run game. One problem he does have is he struggles with his footwork and his kind of agility because he is a little bit oversized um, and his, you know, he's he sometimes struggles in the pass game against some more athletic. Um, defensive ends and, you know, defensive tackles. Um, But, you know, people are saying he could slim down and he would be a much better prospect for the NFL level. Um, And he's been kind of in the two to three to fourth round range uh, for quite a while. Um, Here they have him ranked um, at 67. Um, This is obviously the 76 pick, but uh, I, I like how he would fit in the NFL level, I think he fits very well right next to Andrew Thomas and could be a nice replacement for Hernandez if he's leaving eventually, um, and obviously is an upgrade over Lemieux as well. We move to the we move to the fourth round, right? At this point, yes. Yeah. So round four, 116th overall. I'm going to go with offensive guard Kendrick Green out of Illinois. Alex is um, Alex is is higher on him than I am, but I have him falling to the fourth round. Alex was thinking that he could be a third round prospect. Which is very true, but yeah. So six foot two, three hundred five pounds. Uh, Green stayed in state as a four star recruit and first team All State defensive tackle from Peoria. He switched from defense defense to offense during his twenty seventeen redshirt season, adding thirty pounds in the process. He started all twelve games at left guard the following year and then began all thirteen games in twenty nineteen. Um, 2019, I said twenty nineteen. <laughs> Twelve at left guard and bowl game at center to replace the injured Doug Kramer. He was a first-team All-Big Ten selection as a junior, starting eight games on the year, three at center and five at left guard. And that is my fourth-round pick, Kendrick Green, out of Illinois. 
So for me, my fourth round pick, I have a really interesting player here, uh, Tamorian Terry, wide receiver out of Florida State, 6'2", 207 pounds, plays a lot smaller than he actually is. So he's an interesting one, right? You're getting towards the end of the draft here in the fourth round, or not the end, but you're getting towards the area where you're kind of looking for people who have really high upside, right? For me, you know, or not even for me, Tamorian Terry, if you talk to people a year ago, he was a first round draft pick for this year. Uh, in this class because of his sophomore year, because of his freshman year where he was absolutely fantastic. But then this past year, he completely disappeared. It was like he didn't even play. This could be due to the fact that Florida State don't have good quarterback play at all. Um, You know, he's not the quickest in terms of speed. He's not great off the snap. He doesn't really have that burst of acceleration. Um, You know, he kind of reminds me of Sterling Shepard, but not really. He's a little bit smaller. Um, not as good of a route runner, quite clearly. Um, you know, he caught for his freshman season, I believe, or his um, sophomore season, excuse me. He had 40 catches for 1,100 yards and 19 touchdowns. Um, he was very good. And then what? And then he had 70 plus um, yard touchdowns against Boston College and North Carolina State. So he he played very well. But then he had knee surgery. Um, during his off season in his sophomore year, and then he just kind of wasn't back really well um, for this past season. I think he could fit very well as like a, you know, he's not a number three receiver at the moment. He's probably a number four or number five receiver. He's kind of a nice piece, uh, like a nice backup slot receiver, but he has the potential. Obviously, we saw he had the potential to be a first round prospect, so he could be very good in the NFL level. Um, so I like him a lot. Um, he's definitely a risky one for the fourth round, but I, I, I don't mind the idea of taking him. Um, I'll go to the next one again, actually. Josh and I have the same person here. Um, we have David Moore, uh, guard out of Grambling State. Um, so he is 6'1", 320 pounds. Um, so I'll uh, you know have read Josh's description here, actually. He played in nine games as a reserve his freshman season with the Tigers, then earned uh, starts at right guard in uh, in. 10 appearances in 2019 he started 10 games at left guard as a junior uh where he you know got attention from nfl scouts he decided to move on to the next level after grambling's 2020 season was postponed until the spring and accepted an invitation to the uh, senior bowl which here i have um he played you know reasonably well didn't really uh you know change his draft stock much um but i think in terms of his fits um it was actually interesting because these uh this, you know, PFF and stuff has his fits, you know, best team fits and the Giants are among one of those fits. So uh, I, a nice player there. Uh, and I really like David Moore as a late round guy uh, who could maybe do well as, you know, a very nice backup. <laughs> I had Moore as a steal, actually, Alex. I had him at our second round six pick at 201. You had him at your first six round pick at 196. So I stole him a few picks earlier. Not really that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, so you so you took that one. So I'll just do my first one in the round six, 196, um, which is Ed Shakatoni. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Out of Penn State, six foot two, 242 pounds. Um, he posted 23 stops, seven and a half tackles for loss, with five sacks, one forced fumble, and two pass breakups during the season. Tony stepped in to the starting lineup for all 13 games in 2019 garnering second-team All-Big Ten accolades. Uh, 41 tackles, 8 for loss with 6.5 sacks. He led Penn State with 5 sacks in 9 games in his senior season. Garnering first-team All-Big Ten. Notice, 31 tackles, 7.5 for loss. He accepted an invitation to the Senior Bowl, and that'll do it for my draft since Alex 
um, said my last pick, which was round six, 201, offensive guard David Moore from Grambling State, which you already talked about. Go ahead, Alex, do your last one, and we can wrap this up with Dave Gettleman. So I have Ramondre Stevenson running back out of Oklahoma. So he's an interesting one, 5'11", uh, 5'11 I guess here, 231 pounds. He's a tank. He's kind of a Brandon Jacobs-like player. Um, obviously, I don't think he's as good as him. Uh, you know, he's a junior college transfer who came to Oklahoma. He runs downhill between the tackles. He's big and strong, picks up the tough yards. Um, and he's also a good blocker, runs north and south, and he can even do some receiving work out of the backfield. Um, and, you know, he wasn't uh, really ranked in high school. He didn't come out. He was unranked running back prospect in high school. He came in, uh, came to Oklahoma eventually, and did quite well. He logged 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns on 222 carries, averaging almost 10 yards per carry uh, in 2018, and scoring a touchdown on every 14 carries. Uh, gave him quite a draft boost, and, you know, from there, he's been talked about six-round-ish is where he's mostly been seen. Some have seen him a little bit earlier in the fifth, some have seen him in the seventh. Once you're in this area, it's hard to tell where players are going to go, but I kind of like him as this third running back, uh, you know, obviously, in case something happens to Saquon, in case something happens to Devontae Booker, I think this is a good uh, pickup there for the Giants, and that would conclude both of our mock drafts. And now we'll get uh, right into Dave Gettleman and his comedy show at the uh, press conference, I guess. Our friend Justin Pennick was able to do this for us, not just specifically for us, but luckily for the whole amount of Twitter and Instagram and wherever he posted it. Uh, Dave Gettleman, uh, press conference, funny moments, basically. And this will lead us to our interview with PFF.com's Austin Gale. We really hope you enjoy the interview and we really hope what I'm about to play for you. And this is the Dave Gettleman funny moments from his press conference. Good afternoon. You know, it's, uh, I, I won't try to delay your lunchtime too much. So let the games begin. You know, this year obviously was different because you're touching each other. You know, you're in the, you're in the same spot. And it's, it, it's really helpful. And uh, the best, the best part. So for, you know, I've been doing two, two guys a night and like tomorrow I'll do six guys in the afternoon. It, it's hot. And there were a few of those opt out guys that, showed up and looking like me you know so so it's it's uh that wasn't uh, how many of these pro days were you able to have an in-person interview with a guy did, did some were some schools able to relax some of that were you able to actually talk face to face to guys at different schools dave uh are you trading up or trading back <laughs> i'm going to involve you in the trade <laughs> sounds good you get some good return there you don't want to pass up good assets. You really don't. Okay? Thank you. You're welcome. So, you know. Okay? Thank you, Jones. NFL Network. Hey, guys. I appreciate your time for the second time this week. It's really had... So, Chris, real quick, you know these guys better than the media does, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. They've, they've touched these guys. Which is, you know, which we unfortunately haven't been able to do. <laughs> you know, you guys don't believe me. I, meanwhile, Jeremiah did, uh, had a great line. NASCAR will have right, ter right turns before DG trades back. I mean, it's a hell of a line. I had a good laugh. I've tried in the past. I, I honestly, honest, I've tried to trade back. But it, it's going to be value. I'm not getting fleeced. I, I refuse to do it. 
That's it. Enjoy the interview with Austin Gale. We now welcome on Austin Gale to the podcast. He's the Associate Director of Content at PFF, and he's also a host on the Two for One Drafts podcast. You can also go follow him on Twitter. Alex has it at the bottom, but I'll repeat it anyway. PFF underscore Austin Gale. Austin, we're so excited to have you on uh, today's episode of the podcast because we have an upcoming draft. We have a Giants pick that's going to be at number 11. Obviously, you see Alex has a jersey on. I'm rocking Marking Islander jersey, which is different sport, but whatever. Just ignore that. Um, I want I want to go to your thoughts on the eleventh pick. You talked about it actually on your most recent episode with Mike Renner and Parsons at eleven. We we like that. Alex and I are fans of that. Obviously, you can go ton of different ways. It's not like when we've talked about it amongst ourselves and with guests that this is not like last year where the Giants. It's going to be one of three tackles, right? Um, it, we have a lot of different options that we can go with. So I guess I'll just start off by asking, first of all, how you're doing. Uh, I, I want to make sure, you know, that you're all good and ready for this, for this, uh, interview. So how's it going? And also what are your thoughts for the giants at 11 and who they can pick? Yeah, things are going well, man. Just uh draft season, man, a little stressful, but we are, we are moving forward. I'm excited to continue to inch forward to the uh, 2021 NFL draft. And my thought process for the New York giants 11, you know, I originally, Really like the idea of them going Rashawn Slater, but when you think about, you know, when you think about um, the fact that they have Nate Solder coming back, Matt Pierre probably not a guy you want to kick inside the ta- guard, especially with how tall he is, and Andrew Thomas spending a top five pick on him, you're not going to kick him inside the guard either. I mean, you're in a position where if you do draft Rashawn Slater of Northwestern at eleven to get him on the football field, you might have to kick him into guard. And I almost think for his development, you probably want to start him at tackle, considering that. He's one of the blue chip off the tackle prospects in this class. So I almost want to lean away from Rashawn Slater and start to look at either of the Bama receivers. I really like Jalen Waddell as an option at 11. I also like Devontae Smith as an option at 11. I'd probably lean Smith over Waddell, but it's close. You're splitting hairs. Honestly, I think you're splitting hairs between those two prospects right now. I think they're ranked eighth and ninth or no seventh and eighth on PFS draft board. And then, some other candidates, I think Micah Parsons is obviously an option. I think you could go after Micah Parsons. I'm not sure how far he'll slide down draft boards. There's a chance he goes high as seven to Detroit. I think Denver will consider it at nine. It'll be interesting to see you know where, where Micah Parsons ends up, but I think Micah Parsons is an option as well. I think if I had to pick right now, gun to my head, who they should go with, considering who will be available, I think Devontae Smith would be my pick at 11. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this. I mean, we've been doing our mock draft stuff like that and going through who we think will be at 11 who we would take at 11 um so Dave Gettleman in there uh, the scouting manager for the Giants they had a press conference today I'm not sure if you heard about it uh where they kind of talked about it and you know they talked about linebackers heavily they talked about edge rushers heavily um and that's definitely something they're interested in uh interested in you know when they were asked about Smith and Waddle and you know the wide receiver options they they didn't rule it out but they seemed a little bit more hesitant um And, you know, so really based on what I heard, I think, you know, the Giants are most likely going to go edge rusher, whether or not it's going to be through a trade down, which would be ideal because none of these edge rushers are really, you know, worth it at pick 11, at least to us. What what are your thoughts on the edge rusher position? Because it's kind of a weird one. Um, You know, in the past couple of drafts, we had that top guy, uh, you know, Chase Young, uh, Bosa. So like, what what do you see in this edge class? Because obviously it's a little bit different. You know, first I'll say I'm not surprised. I would not be surprised in the slightest that the New York Giants do opt for an edge defender in this class because I think they are 
you know, interested parties in that kind of traditional school of thought that in the first round, you go after quarterbacks and you go after big men, you go after offensive linemen and defensive linemen. Talking to Bucky Brooks on the podcast a few weeks ago, he brings up that like, hey, these are the positions we covet in the early rounds, defensive tackle, edge, offensive tackle, and QBs. That's what we want to get. We want to go get the big guys because you don't find legitimate starters at tackle and edge on day two and day three. You just don't. I mean, it's because, you know, these rare athletes at those positions don't fall to day two. When you're a rare athlete, when you're a 98th, 99th percentile athlete at one of those positions, you're going to go high in the draft. I do think that um, I'm not surprised. Again, that's why I'm not surprised that they could go into that. If I had to pick one at 11, I think Quiddy Pay would be the option. But the problem is, and I think Mike Renner has said this before too, is you just don't want to be the first team to take an edge in this class because there's a very good chance that the fifth edge taken ends up being the most productive because so many of these guys have to get better in the NFL. Pay has to get better in the NFL. Aziz Ojulari has to get better in the NFL. Jason Owe is still a project. Jalen Phillips only has one year of legitimate production. Gregory Rousseau only played one season, retro freshman season at Miami, and still doesn't really have a true position. Is he going to play edge? Some people think he can play inside. Does he have that gap versatility? So I, I think it's a very interesting edge class. Taking one at 11, you're betting on your, what you're doing, regardless of who you select, is you're betting on your coaching staff to be able to develop this player. Can they can they develop a Quiddy Pay, a Jason Oa, a Zizo Jolari into a productive pass rusher early on? I'll say right now, none of those guys are going to be as good as Chase Young in year one. None of them. I don't think any of them will be as good as Chase Young in year one. So if you're banking on that player starting and being a legitimate impact player for you in year one, I just don't think they will be. But it's not a one year it's not a one year decision. This is a two, three, four year decision. You're drafting for the future. You're drafting to build up the roster. So I think Edge. I wouldn't be surprised if they take it there. I would choose Devontae Smith or and Jalen Waddle over any edge in this class. I'd also lean Rashawn Slater over edge any edge in this class, and I'd lean Michael Parsons over. Ed- I mean, arguably, Michael Parsons, you play him at edge, is probably the best, most productive edge rusher in this class. That's how good Michael Parsons is. So, I'd be I'd be scratching my head. I will say this: if they take one and those guys are still on the board, I mean, you're looking at a team like Philly at twelve. It's going to get a really good player to fall to them. It's a really smart decision for them to trade down from six. So it's really interesting to see what the Giants will do at eleven. And you mentioned two players that they've been linked with in Quiddy Pay and Aziz Ojolari. Those are two players that we've seen giant scouts talk about a lot. Obviously, um, Joe Judge was at the Miami Pro Day to scout Gregory Russo and Jalen Phillips, so that was a lot of uh, a rumor as well. I want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier that Devontae Smith would be your pick at eleven. That's the player you've been le- you you would be leading to uh, between Jalen Waddle. You did a mock draft about a month ago now, and you're sticking with your gut. Uh, you had Devontae Smith going 11 at the Giants in that mock draft about a month ago. You still have him going there now. Um, the most recent article you also did, number four, when you did yards after catch, the best receivers yard, yards after catch, you had Smith at number four. You know, that is something that it's not that big of a deal for me specifically, but obviously we had Rondell Moore who's been falling in later first round, uh, you know, mocks. So, I mean, just a little bit about that. And I, I do like, though, that you are sticking with your gut and you're not completely changing it up from where you were a month ago to where you are now. You're sticking that Smith is your guy. Yeah. I mean, I think Devontae Smith, I think a lot has been made up of his weight, you know, weighing in at 166. I mean, you're betting on him being an outlier from a productivity standpoint compared to other receivers in this class. But, I mean, other receivers in previous history. But, I mean, it's a different game now. I mean, you're starting three wide receivers more than you're starting, you know, you know, um, two tight ends and, and bigger guys. I mean, you are looking for speed. You're looking for athleticism, burst, explosiveness. And that – Devontae Smith isn't Tyreek Hill, but he's still a very productive receiver that, yes, is slight of frame, but it just did not show up. It, you did not – not for a second 
were you like, man, Devontae Smith small this past season or even in 2019? Over the past two years, no receiver averaged more yards per out run against press coverage than Devontae Smith. No receiver averaged more yards per out run on the outside than Devontae Smith. He can get it done where you think weight will show up. And that's because the dude is a legitimate technician as at and away from the line of scrimmage at his route breaks and at the line of scrimmage and also really good ball skills. Very few drops on his tape. Very good in contested catch situations. Tracks the ball very well. The only issue I have with Devontae Smith in the narrative right now is that there are some analysts that say, oh, you know, his frame, you can add weight in the NFL. He's been there for four years, man. I mean, Devontae Smith has been in Alabama's program for four years, showed up at 160, probably 155, and has not been able to add weight. If you're not going to add it in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, where they turn out legitimate dogs every single year, I would second guess the idea that he's going to get that much bigger in the NFL. You're getting what you're getting. You know, he's going to be in that 165 to 175 range in the NFL. You're getting what you're getting. And I do think that he has a very good chance, a very good chance of being the most productive slight frame receiver we really see in the NFL. So just kind of how you mentioned right before about how many teams are playing with three wide receivers. Um, And, you know, if you look in our division, obviously the Cowboys, uh, they have Cooper, uh, Gallup, and obviously now C.D. Lamb from last year's draft. Um, and obviously also, um, you know, you know the Eagles, they don't Stephen Corr. We're not going to talk about them. but uh, And then in Washington, they have uh, Curtis Samuel and obviously Terry McLaurin as well. So there's definitely some really solid receivers in this, uh, you know, in our division. So I've been really thinking about cornerback in the first round. And when you look at the cornerbacks, or at least early in the draft, first, second, third, um, because obviously, you know, we signed a Dory Jackson. There are some injury concerns with him, um, you know, coming off the injury from last season. Is Do you think a cornerback's a viable option? Because, you know, if Sertain's on the board, if J.C. Horn, who would most likely be on the board uh, at number 11, do you see any chance the Giants would take them uh, or what you think uh, or what you think of these cornerbacks in this class? I love Patrick Sertan. I love J.C. Horn. I would take them as top 12 picks in this class. I think they start to come off the board at 10. I think Dallas is locking into a corner at 10, whether that's Sertan or J.C. Horn. I don't think it's going to be Caleb Farley ultimately with the back surgery. I think he's had two back surgeries now in the past two years. But the problem is, you know, something I always talk about is as good as a player is, and I always say best player available, especially at high positions, you know, positions of high value, Something Mike brings up that I think is a very sage point is that it, you have to have a path to the football field. You know, you, you don't you, you have to have in some way, shape or form this rookie getting on the field. Because if a Dory Jackson and, and James Bradbury play as expected, you're working one of those guys in the slot. Again, a lot of it is development. You know, people talk about why do players bust? You know, why do players not pan out? Why do players not meet expectations? How soon is this player getting reps with the ones? How soon is this player practicing on the outside and going against different prospects on the outside? If you draft J.C. Horn or Patrick Sutan and ask him to play the slot out of the gate, not only are you hindering their development to play on the outside, but what about Darnay Holmes, guy that you drafted playing the slot a lot last year? You obviously have Julian Love. Like You're starting to kick down this development. I think it's another conversation when you bring up you know, the Las Vegas Raiders. A lot of people are mocking cornerback to the Raiders. It's okay. You drafted Damon Arnett at 19 and Trayvon Mullen, I think, in the 40s two years ago. Are you going to push their development down the road, admit that those players aren't going to develop, and bust them? You know They didn't bust. You're busting them. Now, the teams are busting them. If you draft a player to start ahead of David Arnett and start ahead of Trayvon Mullen, you're hindering their development in practice and in the game field. That, I think, is a decision that you're not going to necessarily hinder the development. I mean, you're not going to hinder the development of Bradbury or Dory, but you're just not going to put that player in a position to see the field out of the gate. And when you're drafting inside the top 15, inside the top 20, I do think you want players that have a path to the football field out of the gate, not always filling needs necessarily, but can at least see the field. Like Rashawn Slater 
would be filling a needed guard, but not necessarily tackle with Solder, Pert, and obviously Andrew Thomas. But drafting Slater, his path to the field is guard because you're going to want him on the football field again. Do you want to develop him at tackle or do you want to develop him at guard? I think that conversation has to come up. Something I've liked when looking at what the Giants could do in the first two rounds, and I've kind of looked at it a little bit more, you know, as we've gotten closer and we've heard that the Giants are looking more towards linebackers. I have them like taking Micah Parsons at 11, going with a receiver in the second round at pick 42. Um, out of like the three that I like talking about that could fall there, both Moore's Elijah Moore and Rondell Moore and Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU. Do you see any one of those receivers? Do you see two of those receivers, three of them maybe? That would be a, a big a big if but you know do you see any of them falling to that 42 spot maybe I, I do i ultimately you know for the same reasons that gentlemen might not take a receiver at 11 even if Devontae smith and jalen wallace there there are other teams that have a similar approach in the first round that they just don't value wide receivers and some of these small frame guys early and i think with that reason you could see elijah moore fall to day two you could see i think terrace marshall ultimately goes day one he's one of the few big receivers in this class like legitimate talent 33 inch arms tall i think he's six foot two there's gonna be a team at the back end i think the ravens are a really good fit for terrace marshall at the back end of the first round but rondell moore likely falls to day two maybe even day three considering you know obviously some people have more concerns with his height than others but then elijah moore could fall to day two if I had to pick one of those guys on day two that I like the most, I think it would be Elijah Moore. I think he's my favorite after Rashad Bateman and then obviously the big three. I think Elijah Moore is my favorite receiver because I also think that, and Mike said this today, I think Mike, I think Elijah Moore could play on the outside. Like I know he's a smaller frame receiver, but he's got the quicks. He's got the athleticism to play on the outside. The only reason you haven't seen it, he only played, I think in his career, he has less than 100 snaps on the outside uh, of any receiver, top receiver in this class. The reason you haven't seen it, this Lane Kiffin wanted to give him the ball. I mean, Amari Cooper played a ton in the slot in Alabama, too, and that's because Lane Kiffin wanted him in the slot in those high-leverage situations, getting free releases, getting the football. So Elijah Moore contended for most receiving yards in the country this year because of how Lane Kiffin played him, not necessarily because he can't play on the outside. We've been talking about the Giants definitely need a guard, right? Um, if you're looking at natural guards in this class, it really doesn't start till the second round. Obviously, you're not going to take one of these guys, um, most likely at least in the first round. Maybe Wyatt Davis if there's a really desperate team. Um, but a one player I really liked when I've been looking at him uh, is Kendrick Green out of Illinois, the guard. Um, uh, you know, you guys have him ranked here 68th overall, um, you know, sixth among guards or number two among guards actually after Wyatt Davis. What, do you have any thoughts on him or Wyatt Davis, obviously, who's also been popular? Um, surprisingly, he doesn't have a really good, uh, really great PFF grade that you guys given him, uh, only a 66.5, obviously not bad. Um, mm-hmm. but green has an 88. Um, what are your thoughts on those two guys? You, you said Kendrick green is the other guard. Yeah. Kendrick green. Yeah. I think for white Davis this past season, I think you have to factor in that obviously COVID all the big 10 players, man, COVID impacted big 10 and pac 12 really badly. And that they didn't, they, they didn't have a season and they did, and then they didn't. And then they had one again and then coming back. And also why Davis battled some injuries, a lot of context comes with that grade. I think um, that's a big part of it. I think why Davis, I love him as a day two guard. I think he can come in and play guard very early. Kendrick green, I think he's a little bit more scheme. He's less scheme versatile than maybe Wyatt Davis. I think you're going to want Kendrick green in a gap scheme where he's running more power, more poles and that type of stuff, because he's very explosive, but just raw. Like he's, he, he played, he, he was recruited to Illinois to play ta- defensive tackle. You know what I mean? Like it's not Kendrick green is going to take some time. I do think he's a crazy athlete, crazy explosiveness. And you see that on tape, but to ask him to start out of the gate, maybe you see some concerns in pass protection. His footwork could improve, especially if he goes to his own scheme. I, I'm interested to see where Kendrick green ultimately goes, but 
the thing and I, I talk about positional value a lot on the two for one drafts podcast is that you can get starters at guard on day two because there aren't, you know, the best guards aren't all going to go in the first round. The probably only guard that's going to go in the first round is Elijah Barrett Tucker of USC. After that, Wyatt Davis, Kendrick Green, who probably plays center in the NFL. He told me that a lot of teams see him as a center. Um, Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma, I think, could play guard or center. You could get starting caliber into your offensive lineman, you know, in picks 40 to 60 more than you can in the early rounds for tackle and stuff like that. Sticking to the offensive line, another player that I like that could be available in the second round, and that's Walker Little out of Stanford, the junior. The only thing with him is, and I, and I want to get your take on this, we haven't seen him play since 2019. Uh, the, you know, Is that like a big factor? Obviously, I'm sure it is for most NFL teams. Um, on PFF, I do like how you guys mentioned that. That's potential that we just haven't seen yet, and he could show that right when he gets into the NFL. So just just some thoughts on Walker Little that you might have. Yeah, Walker Little is an interesting, you know, evaluation. He's a very difficult evaluation. Former five-star coming out of California, you know, goes, goes and plays at Stanford, has a really, really good start to his collegiate career, very young player too, has a really good start to his collegiate career, and then one game into his 2019 season where you're expecting them to really take a leap. He grades really well but also gets hurt. Over the last seven games of Walker Little's collegiate career, he's the highest-graded offensive tackle according to PFF. The problem is we haven't seen him play since week one of the 2019 season. He hasn't seen a college pass rusher, not even in practice, not even in training since week one of 2019. You just haven't seen it. The experience is not there. And also, you have to factor in the injuries and the opt out of 2020. I think the reason PFF is as high as on, on him as he is, is obviously that arc, that grading profile you saw over the past seven games, the traits that he brings to the table, the size he brings to the table. And obviously, the conversations we've had with people around the league that t- you know, talk highly of Walker Little and see him as a prospect. He's a projection. Is there a lot of bust potential with Walker Little? Absolutely. Because you haven't seen his age 20, age 21 seasons. You haven't. Like, you haven't seen the kid play. You don't know how he's going to develop, how he's going to take the NFL. So I ultimately think he does fall to day two. But he's a guy that won't start in year one, likely won't start in year one, but could develop as a, you know, as a swing tackle for a team, especially a team with, like, some veterans that tackle or either spot. I think that's the move for them for sure. So another guy kind of maybe – towards late second, most likely in the third round, Brady Christensen out of BYU. Um, so you guys actually have him as the highest graded uh, PFF tackle uh, at 96.0 in 2020. What is, you know, obviously he's not the highest tackle. He looks like maybe 10th on the list here. Um, you know, what makes him, you know, so I guess, you know, he has the best PFF grade. What what makes him so far down the list? Yeah, I mean, I think I – think- you know, Bray Christensen probably could come up the list a little bit. I think the reason he's, you know, he graded super well, but it obviously was against low-level competition. Didn't see a legitimate top 100 pick at edge rusher on his tape all year. And I think what you didn't get, I don't think he was there. I, I think you need to see Brady Christensen go against top-level competition before you can really feel that confident in the grade. The grades are obviously not opponent adjusted. But that's don't temper expectations for the kid. I think he blew some people away at the combine. You know, I had him on the podcast, or not the combine, but his pro day. He had, I had him on the podcast recently. He said he's gotten a lot of calls since he dialed up that pro day and, and made some plays. He's also an older prospect. He's a guy I think he's closer to 24 years old. And um, when you're on that age, I mean, it's just science. It's literally like anatomy. When you get older, 23, 24, your body develops more. You're more mature, stronger, all these types of things. And when you're going against guys that are younger, you have this advantage. And I think he had that advantage a little bit at BYU. Those are just the reservations with Brady Christian. However, still a top 10 tackle on PFF's board, a guy that – you should invest in. I think day two is a really good spot for Brady Christensen, specifically the third round. He also has a really good head on his shoulders. Just had a baby girl um, with his wife. Um, and I think, again, a really mature player. I think he's a guy that's going to come and be a leader out of the gate. I think there's a lot of intangibles to like about Brady Christensen. Second round might be too rich. 
But I think third round, top of third round, you can start to see teams take take a flyer on Brady Christensen. NFL or I guess draft running back question for you. Um, we've had the Steelers. We've done three mock drafts. Steelers every single time have taken Najee Harris just because there was obviously the deleted tweet. Alex, um, who was that by? That was from one of the Steelers players. I just can't see yeah, him to remember his name. Thank you. So Minka Fitzpatrick basically tweeted out, then deleted, you know, we got to bring Najee Harris to the Steelers. So we've kind of seen that happen in a lot of other mock drafts have taken him. We decided to take him. And looking at the PFF running back rankings, a lot of people have slept on this name as well. And I completely understand it. Javante Williams out of North Carolina, you guys have him ranked at number 53 um, on the big board and number one in the running back rankings. And then second is Harris at 65. Just, I, I mean, I'm sure they're overrated, obviously, because they're on the two biggest teams, Travis uh, Etienne and obviously Najee Harris from Alabama. You know, what makes Javante Williams the number one on your list? I, I think there's it's a combination of things. One, you know, highest force missed tackle rate we've seen of any running back this past season. Yes, unlimited carries. Two, he did it at 20 years old, one of the youngest players in this class, former valedictorian in high school, 4.6 GPA, almost pursued academics in college, was recruited by Alabama to play the linebacker. They told him he was too short, ends up going to North Carolina on a full ride to play running back. And late breakout, sure, but again, he's only 20 years old, and he's competing in a backfield with Michael Carter, who's probably another top 100 pick in this class. I think Javante Williams is the number one running back on our board. Travis Etienne, I think, comes at two. And then Najee Harris, I think, is there at three, or maybe Etienne and Harris are flopped. It doesn't matter, though. I think those are the tier one running backs. You have to look at them in tiers. And I think – you look at day two as an option, late, I think late second round, top of third round is where PFF would value those players. Of course, taking in positional value into account, not taking running backs in your first 50, first 65 picks is where PFF is going to lean. However, I like those running backs, all three of those running backs. I think you could see Najee Harris, I think, is where the league is trending. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers could swing the bat on 24, Buffalo at 30. There's some people that have said maybe the Jags take him at 25 and, and to use him to supplant James Robinson despite getting a, a starting caliber back as a UDFA. It'll be interesting to see. I think run one running back ultimately goes in the first round if I had to bet. I think one running back goes on the first round. I think it's Najee Harris. But a team is going to get an absolute gem in Javante Williams on day two. Same with Travis Etienne. So kind of a big question for the Giants at 11 um, when you're looking at is how many quarterbacks are going to be off the board, right? Um, whether that is if you want to trade down and there's a quarterback on the board that someone might want to trade up for, or just the fact that there might be people available because quarter, many quarterbacks have gone. How many quarterbacks do you see going in the top 10? You know, there's been some people are saying it's only going to be, you know, it's a minimum of three uh, and there's, you know, maximum of five. Where do you see it in that range and how many do you see going? I, I think you ultimately see five quarterbacks go inside the top 10. I, I do think that you see four inside the top five, if not the top seven picks. I'd be really surprised if a team didn't come up with Detroit as like the last ditch option, if Trey Lance or Justin Fields starts to fall, you know, and if Mac Jones goes at three to the San Francisco 49ers, I, where I, where I see five quarterbacks falling or a fifth quarterback, not getting taken in the side of the top 10 is if Mac Jones ends up being that QB five that starts to fall. Then I think you start to see him fall a little bit further. Teams reluctant to trade up for Mac Jones and more happy with letting them land in their lap. Similar. They're not the same player at all. Very different players. But if you recall, Dwayne Haskins was not a quarterback that a team traded up for. They felt comfortable in him as a first-round pick. Washington takes him, I think, at 10, or maybe it might have been a little bit later. But you didn't trade up for him. You let him fall to you. I think Mac Jones could be viewed similarly, and I hate to make that comparison. They're not the same players. Dwayne Haskins was terribly inaccurate coming out. Mac Jones is a different player. But I think from a ranking standpoint, I think teams will be more confident maybe letting Mac Jones fall to them, while as 
Justin Fields, Trevor, uh, Trey Lance, those two quarterbacks right after Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence are guys that will either be picked at three or traded up for Atlanta, obviously a trade up spot. Cincinnati's a trade up spot. Miami could look to trade back down if the offer is good enough. And then Detroit at seven is that other spot where like, Hey, they're committing to the tank. I think, I don't think Detroit's looking to make any power moves anytime soon. So I think there's an opportunity to trade down in all three of those spots. Uh, you know, with your quarterback rankings, your kind of follow up about the quarterbacks. So you guys have Trevor Lawrence, number one. I think that's, you know, undisputed Zach Wilson, number two. So, I personally find Justin Fields to be the quarterback number two in this class, at least personally. I I think Zach Wilson is not I, – I think there's more potential. Maybe Zach Wilson's a better quarterback at the moment. I feel like Justin Fields, he played for a bigger school. You know, he went up against the biggest competition in college. I feel like he's better prepared to be an NFL quarterback than Zach Wilson. What are your thoughts on that? I, I don't know why, but – for some reason, I actually am not a big Zach Wilson fan. No, I, I think you're splitting hairs. I wouldn't say I'm not a Zach Wilson fan. I still consider him a top three player in this class. But the difference between – I think it hasn't been talked about enough because ever since you know the, the Zach Wilson Pro Day in Provo, Utah, everyone and their mother knew the Jets were taking Zach Wilson number two. You saw betting markets swing like minus 1,000 that the Jets were taking Zach Wilson at number two. So now – so many, so few people are even interested in talking about Zach Wilson as a prospect because there isn't any reason he's going to the Jets. I mean, it's kind of like Trevor Lawrence in a lot of ways. He's going to the Jags. So now all of this discussion goes around the QB three, and Justin Fields gets criticism. Mac Jones has talked about a ton as a guy that could go there. Trey Lance has talked about a ton, but with Zach Wilson, there are reasons to be concerned. I mean, young player didn't go against top level competition. Twenty twenty was his only really good season. A one year breakout for sure. And I, I mean, some people have concerns about his weight. Talking to Nate Tice of the Athletic and Bleacher Report, there's concerns about his weight. There, there are. I would argue there are a lot of concerns with Zach Wilson, and there are a lot of concerns with Justin Fields. To objectively say Wilson is a better prospect than Fields, I think is malpractice. Like it is splitting hairs. It depends on what you want. What offense do you want to run? How do you want your quarterback involved in the running game? All these different types of things. So I could definitely see teams potentially having Zach, you know, Justin Fields ahead of Zach Wilson. Some people will have their boards constructed that way. I do ultimately think obviously Zach Wilson goes number two to the Jets. And then San Francisco, it's tough, man. I don't know where they ultimately go. I think right now, gun to my head, they go Trey Lance. But again, it's 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 so difficult. You know, I think no one knows. That's the biggest thing. I think Trey Lance is an option, obviously. I would pick Justin Fields in that spot. Mac Jones is minus 150 to go there according to betting markets. That's going to be where the draft starts, man. I mean, that's where the draft really does start. I think a lot of people are going to be tuning in when the, when the Niners are on the clock. Mac Jones, that's where, like, everyone's linking to. And it's so hard because I don't know why people have Mac Jones that high. It's, it's not it's not what we think. Um, it looks like you agree as well. So that's just – it is what it is there. Um, uh, the question I have for you now is what are some late-round talents that you think stand out to you that, you know, whether it is the Giants or any NFL teams should look to target? Yeah, when I think about the late rounds, I always look at you know positions of lower value that you can go find impact starters on day two and day three. You know, guys like interior defensive line, rotational pieces along the interior defensive line, slot cornerbacks are devalued in this league, box safeties are an opportunity, linebackers somewhat of an opportunity. But interior defensive line, I know it's not a good defensive tackle class, but in terms of rotational pieces, really like Aline McNeil of NC State, you know, a guy that had offers to a ton of blue blood programs coming out, Alabama included but decided to go to NC State to stay in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's a guy that played running back in high school, running back and linebacker. Ali McNeil played running back and linebacker at over like 250, 260 pounds, and then gets moved to defensive tackle for NC State. I, I think he's a guy I really like on day two, day three. 
Um, Tyler Shelvin as an option on day three, a big, monstrous, two-gapping defensive tackle that won't be a pass rusher. I get it. You're drafting a player that's a little bit one-tooled, but you're getting a starter. You're getting a guy that can come in and be a two-down run defender. I know a lot of teams are leaning in that direction, too. You want to get... You want to get lighter at linebacker? You want to get lighter at defensive back? You're going to need to get heavier up front. That's why guys like um, Brandon Williams and uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, these guys. You know, that's why those guys get coveted. Because if you can have a guy that can legitimately two-gap up front, it opens up gaps, opens up gap opportunities for the back end on linebacker. And, and your, your linebacker doesn't have to be 250 pounds. You can go out there with a guy who's 220, 225, that can cover in those types of things. So I do think – Day two, day three, Ali McNeil, Tyler Shelvin, Bobby Brown of Texas A&M. Those are defensive tackles. Like, hey, let's let Levi Muzurike of Washington. I know they're not going to be 800 snap players, but I'm drafting them in round three, round four to be those rotational pieces that can offer juice along my defensive line. Keep a constant, fresh rotation. That's if I'm running the team. So for this final question here, let's say a year from now, um, you know, after the end of this next season, who's going to be seen as the biggest steal and who do you think is going to be seen as the biggest uh, reach in terms of the play? Let's let's keep it to the first round um, in terms of those players. Who do you think will be the biggest steal and who do you think will be the biggest reach? Interesting. I think biggest steal, if he is taken in the first round, maybe Christian Barmore. I think right now Christian Barmore is the 12th ranked player on PFF's board, but according to the consensus is closer to the 20s. I think athletics consensus board. I think Christian Barmore could be a steal, especially if he goes in between, you know, picks 25 and 32. I think he's a really talented defensive tackle. I think he could go in those picks, be one of the bigger steals. And then bigger reaches, I'm not going to say any of the quarterbacks. I don't think any of the quarterbacks are going to be considered reaches. I think, you know, Mac Jones, maybe not my cup of tea, but I'm still taking him inside the top 15 because the position is just too valuable. The position is way too valuable. I think of a reach that comes to mind. Hmm. I'm trying to think where, I'm trying to think where players that, PFF maybe is a little bit lower. I mean, Najee Harris. Uh, I think Najee Harris, Najee Harris could take in the first round. He's a really good running back prospect. But, I mean, from a positional value perspective, I just don't like it. I think that is a reach. You are reaching on a position that you can fill later rounds. And as good as Najee Harris is, as good as Josh Jacobs was, as good as Saquon Barkley was, as good as Todd Gurley was and Melvin Gordon, all these guys that were drafted in the first round, I can get those types. I can get those starters elsewhere. I, I, I really can. I think I can get – you know, look at Rashad Penny. I mean, you, you just – you're rarely rewarded for getting running backs in the first round. And even when you are, even when you do hit, you end up paying them these big money second contracts that's very difficult to keep on your cap. Look at the Dallas Cowboys in a position with Zeke Elliott. They had to battle to get Dak under that you know cap figure and those types of things. So I do think that drafting running backs in the first round, you're incentivized to give them touches, incentivized to run on early downs. And if they do pan out, they do hit like a CMC or an Ezekiel Elliott, potentially Josh Jacobs you end up having to pay him like $15 million a year. Like that's, that's just a tough spot to be in. In my opinion, I definitely think Najee Harris could be a big reach in the first round. Austin, we thank you so much for joining us. And we know your schedule is extremely, extremely busy during this time. So we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Please go follow Austin on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale and check the podcast out. Two for one drafts podcast is a great podcast with Mike Renner also of PFF. So please go check it out. We'd really appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at the giant take podcast or at the giant take pod. Alex has it on the bottom and I still got it wrong. I'm on Instagram at the giant take podcast and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts as well as the two for one drafts podcast. We all would really appreciate it. And we will see you next time for another giant take episode.
Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.